Welcome to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG game titled Avowed. This is a podcast for fans by fans, and we are not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but we would certainly gladly head to the Forge and craft an item for them. My name is Sora, and I'm joined by many other fans from around the world today as we discuss the world of Aora and Avowed and related RPGs. Uh, this week we take a deep dive into crafting. Um, how is crafting as a mechanic used in RPGs? Uh, what's the history of crafting in games? How was it used in Pillars of Eternity? And what do we want to see Obsidian do with crafting in Avowed? Your eyes shall be plucked from their sockets and turned upon you that you may fully examine your deficiencies. Welcome to Valcast today. We're going to talk about crafting. Um, everybody's favorite topic. Actually, it is one of my favorite topics. So I'm super excited about that. But we've got quite a few people joining us today. And I want to give them a chance to tell us what they've been up to. So let's just go around the board. And I think I'll start with Remoran, um, who's joining us. What have you been up to? Have you been playing anything exciting? Uh, yeah, I got a couple things I started. I, I bought the uh, the CRPG book. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, the which is just a giant textbook like thing with like 400 articles and kind of history and chronological order of, of computer RPGs. And I wanted to start like some older ones that I've always been interested in and kind of fill in some gaps. And I played I started playing the original Rogue. And um, I am going to start playing uh, Betrayal at Crondor, I believe, is the, the name of the Wow. Title. Yeah. That's freaking so cool. awesome. This, this book is amazing. I, anybody who uh, is interested in CRPGs in general, they, they should take a look. It, it's really yeah, awesome. Is it, is it generally available? I'm not familiar with the book. You can just get it off of any bookstore so I think, site. I think it was originally published in like 2015. The, the final... The, it, the final RPG in the book is actually Pillars of Eternity. Um, and it is a review that's not stellar. Uh, but wait, I disagree with the review, but it's still an amazing book. Um, and I, they reprinted it, I think, last year. Um, and uh, during the holidays, I saw it and I was like, well, this is interesting. And I bought I just it. And- found it on Amazon.com. It's a hardback, uh, $65. Yep. I mean, but still, that's amazing. Take now I have, to, I have to buy that now. Um, it is amazing. It, the pages are extremely high quality and it talks about like uh, each game and, and how like diff- back in the day ports were very different. Like it looked completely different than other um, than uh, like a Sega port might be different from a PC, port, very different from a PC port in a different way than it is now, which is just, you know, resolution and, and graphics much uh, or very, very different. But it is awesome. I love it. Now, have you actually, did you say you've actually read all 500 pages or you're just kind of pacing yourself? No, I'm pacing myself. I want to choose uh, one from each era. They're, they're separated and they have like uh, title pages for each kind of era, like 80 to 85. And and I'm going to pick and choose a couple games from each era and then either download them if they're freeware or buy them if they're not and then play through them. Excellent. Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, I've, I always think about doing that, and occasionally I have done that. Most of the times I end up regretting it because it's not as wonderful as I remembered it. But um, still, it's history, right? So you kind of have to plowing through that is is pretty pretty rewarding, I think. Um, parenthesis: What have you been playing lately? 
<laughs> I've been playing Factorio. It's a 2D indie game where you are a spaceman who have crash landed on an alien planet and you have to get off. To get off the planet, you will need a rocket. And to build the rocket, you'll need to build a giant sprawling factory and multiple resource extraction outposts. You get to build automated rail networks, construction and logistics drones, and enormous amounts of assemblers. It is fiendishly addictive uh, because there's always something to do from uh, fighting the indigenous uh, inhabitants, optimizing processes, or setting up new resource bases. There's a two minute, it has a two-minute trailer that is brilliant and shows everything the game has to offer and almost all its assets without spoiling any of the enjoyment. I can hardly recommend it if you enjoy these kinds of vaguely engineering-ish games. And at 25 euros to basically infinite, well, not infinite hours, but at least, well, 100 if you have the slightest bit of addictive personality it's a, it's a it's a it's a great purchase from a dollar to hour standpoint that's uh phenomenal i saw that saw that you're playing that so i kind of looked it up it looks like uh it's been in development for almost 10 years and it uh has like 2.5 million people have bought the game so far so it's it's popular obviously and it's yeah. appropriate right kind of for today with crafting i mean it's not I'll be interested to hear how it, it handles some of those mechanics. But uh, it's yeah, a I'm... game about crafting and automated crafting and looking at the base you have built, you have designed that uh, that you have built to build other things you need to build it. It is a it, it is a great achievement. And if you want to get into it and you are intimidated, don't. There is enormous amount of help resources. There are mods and there are fairly friendly people who will tell you exactly how to optimize every single thing. I'm going to lose my life in this. This is terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh, my wife hates you. Um, so I'm going to definitely get this. It looks like it's right up my alley. I could definitely sink into something like that. So that's a good rec recommendation. Kiwi, what have you been doing lately? Uh, Gaming-wise, not much. Uh, except that I downloaded uh, the Black Courier. No, 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 Black Guys are Couriers of Darkness early access again. I gave it another chance today. Uh, did some back uh, with friend doing some backseat gaming with me. We had a couple of laughs <laughs> doing uh, playing it. Uh, I'd say it's an interesting game, has very some very nice mechanics, but nevertheless, it's made by a very small studio and the uh, writing is subpar. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, I remember you mentioning that one before, so that's on my list to look into. I guess wait until it's uh, fully released would be your recommendation? Uh, fully released, fully, re fully reviewed. That's gotcha. my <laughs> <laughs> uh, gingerino. Um, what have you been up to? <laughs> it, the, the problem with listening to everybody's suggestions at the start of this episode is that I always end up having a new list of things that I have to buy and I'm broke at the end of it. So <laughs> I'm always conflicted. I know. Um, okay. It's been a long time since we chatted last. I've played a bunch of stuff between now and then. Uh, the two that are sticking up my mind for January that I've been playing was 
Um, I picked up Inscription because I just had to. But unfortunately, I can't talk about that game because the the spoilers for that game ruin the point of the game. So if if but I will say if to anyone listening, if you're even thinking about playing Inscription, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's well worth the price of admission. I would just go try it. But the other one I want to talk about, uh, I've been playing a game called Game Deck which is um, it's a cyberpunk isometric mystery RPG with no combat. So you play a video game detective in the dystopian future of Earth, uh, sort of, kind of, I guess, if you play the game, you'll find out. And you, you take on a job as a video game detective to try to figure out how to get this person's son out of a, a video game because they haven't gone out in a few days. Um. And it's just, it's a really fun game that I think it, there's there's some really cool stuff that is has laid the groundwork in this game. I think that would be useful in other CRPGs of this style. So, for instance, like you guys are familiar, obviously, with the disposition mechanics in Pillars of Eternity. Oh, yeah. Yes. So game in game deck, er, almost every single thing that you say in this game is associated with a number of different, I can't remember what they're called. I think they're called aspects, but they're essentially like dispositions. There's four categories for dispositions. I can't remember them off the top of my head. And this game is not really that uh, prevalent on the internet, so I can't even find the list myself. Uh, but those four categories all break up into subcategories as well. As you gain points in these aspects. So like if you're more creative or if you're more thoughtful or if you're more logical, you'll gain ranks just like you would in Pillars of Eternity. Except in Game Deck, you can spend those ranked points to earn professions that require different rankings in each one of those dispositions or aspects, sorry. And depending on what profession that you purchase for your character will open up unique dialogue options for how you can solve these uh, video game crimes and mysteries. Um, and as well, one other thing they have, they have this deduction thing, which I love and I hate. I don't know about you guys, but I hate to make a choice in an RPG where I know that I'm locked out of a lot of content from a game just because I'm like, I don't want to have to play a game 30 more hours right, all right. over again to see what happens. But this game doesn't care. They stand by it and they force you. You literally have to go into the menu and you have to pick one of the options and the game will not let you progress unless you pick something and so that's called the deductions menu uh, so you have to take all the information you have at hand and draw a deduction and stick with it and continue on the story and actually i think they i think they pulled that off really well i kind of liked it i like that though and I, what i like about it is the developer is leaning in they're not like oh well we got to keep into account these people and they might not like it and they're just like screw you this is what we're doing we're doing it all the way i kind of like that yeah, yeah make a good game not game for a certain audience exactly so i i liked it a lot i'll give you a warning now if for anyone listening if you don't like reading you do not want to get this there is a lot of dialogue and it is not auditory at all i will give the developers credit though they um they i think they put it into little bite-sized chunks so it never feels like you're reading a novel at one time but by the end of it you definitely have well, I mean, it's it sounds like it's really that's the purpose. It's story driven. It's a it's it's a narrative game, right? That's it's, what you'd yeah, call it. Completely uh. story driven. And there's a million different paths you can take to get from start to end. Like I went and looked up some YouTube videos of all the different ways that you can solve a crime that and I'm like, wow, they have really accounted for a lot of different approaches. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it now. It looks like it's gotten pretty decent reviews and uh, sounds awesome. And it's only like $20 on Steam. So, yeah. or 20 uh, American. Not a lot of money. So, uh, there's like, there's some fine tuning that needs to be done for sure. I, I would say personally, but I like the mechanics that they put in place. I really like spending the points that you get from the way you role play to have mechanics back. I thought that that would be cool for something to be involved with, with Avowed because I'm hoping there'll be dispositions and it'd be cool if you could use your ranking up in dispositions to actually put something on your character. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I mean, I'm sure they're watching what other people are doing and hopefully taking some notes on that. Um, I've been playing a lot too. I, uh, my guilty pleasure is I went back and started playing Just Cause 3 a little bit just because I like the cathartic nature of just being able to go around and blow stuff up. Um, not a shooter, really, and I'm not a shooter person, but this, it's just a really nicely developed game. I went back and replayed Outer Worlds um, because I hadn't played it since uh, Xbox did their uh, refresh. Their, their, they re-released with uh, better graphics, uh, smoother gameplay. I don't know what all the changes were. I actually couldn't tell you after playing it again what all the changes were. Um, did it look good? It looks good. I mean, for, for Outer Worlds, it looks good. Um, I, and not to be a basher, but playing through it, I'm, I keep thinking like, oh my God, please tell me they didn't use these assets for Avowed. I mean, because, oh my gosh. Anyway, you start to notice it when you're really looking at repetitive assets, even though graphics are not critically important. I understand that. Oh my goodness. They just reuse everything everywhere. Um, but of course, the narrative's great in that game, and I love the characters. So I loved getting back into different companions and really investigating them a little bit more. It was fun. And then, of course, I played through, because it was free on Game Pass, Halo Infinite campaign. Again, I'm not a shooter at all. I hate Call of Duty, um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying that. I enjoyed it because it, it was there was something about um, really tightly developed uh mechanics and when when you know that they have fine-tuned gameplay so much that everything just feels fluid and you pick it up quickly and um i don't know it just felt felt easy to me not easy as in content wise but easy to sink in and just start playing and not have to go back to the menu and figure out what this button does and I did. The story was good. Um, I mean, it wasn't fantastic. Um, I really just enjoyed the the open worldiness and being able to kind of roam around and do things. I thought that was that was good. Um, yeah. uh, did anybody else play that one? I, did you play that one, Chandrina? I did indeed. I I agree with you. It was a fun game. It was a lot of fun. The grapple hook was just such a oh nice. My gosh. Tradition. Yes. And talk about it. Yeah. Just cause I was thinking the other day who invented the grapple hook. Cause that's such a great mechanic. I'm the, so I, don't know, good. I know it was in just cause two, but I don't know games before that, that used it, but it, it's so much fun yeah. being able to see a weapon off in the distance or, and just grab it without having to go over and get it is really cool. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what my next, Conquest will be, but probably I'm going to jump back into the remastered version of Life is Strange, which is coming out uh, pretty soon. Um, it will probably be out by the time we publish this podcast, so I'll probably jump into that remastered version of the original um, after the bad taste of the third one. I need to get that out of my mouth. So, 
Today we're talking crafting. So I have a general definition for crafting and I want to take like a second to kind of go through. I, I did quite a bit of digging um, into the history of crafting in, in games and where it kind of first started to make its appearance, the first games to really lean in on crafting um, and the science behind why people enjoy it so much. Um, the general definition that I could find, this is not mine, I don't remember where I found it, is crafting is a game mechanic that enables players to create or modify new things using materials or currency. Period. Just really broad thing that we all know. <clears throat> but then I found a site that really went in. It's uh, digitalhumanities.org did this article on the elements of crafting, and they really dug deep um, into it, um, looking at different games throughout uh, the history of gaming and how it was used. And they developed, they came up with six elements and they said, these are the six elements of crafting that kind of define it. So the first one is recipe, uh, which is just, we know a representation of the knowledge necessary to transform a collection of game objects, whether they're ingredients or raw materials into a new object. So recipes are common action was their second one. And they said, uh, action is part of crafting and that the fidelity of action represents how detailed those player performed actions are within the game world. So how accurate those actions are applicable to real life actions and how embodied the player performance is of those actions. Um, so getting it done basically. And then constraints, which was an interesting one. They talked a lot about completion constraints, um, encompassing everything required for an entity to be crafted. So for example, tools, time, currency, availability of resources, crafting stations, and any other prerequisites you can think of. Um, and designers, you know, they, they often use recipes as kind of a gate progression, and then they require these crafting stations to paste gameplay or consume player time as a function of gameplay. So that's kind of what the whole idea behind constraints is um, not necessarily gating in a gating in a specific sense, but you, you have to have this to do it. You can't just be walking in the field and do it. Um, recognition and reinforcement was the other one they mentioned. And this is the idea that the recognition of uh, outcome refers to the manner and degree which a larger game system models and represents the result of crafting. So this is this is the reinforcement that players get after crafting, basically is what they're getting at. Um, that something new is existing in this virtual world as a result of your actions or decision-making. Um, <clears throat> the system recognition ranges from either one time, some sort of immediate graphical or textual acknowledgement, to complex behavior modeling of the crafted item over time. Expressiveness, which was probably the one that I liked the most, um, they talked about how player expressiveness plays into crafting mechanic. And that is player expressiveness refers to the amount of creativity and individualization built into a crafting system. So, for example, the use of different colored dye or threads to make your cloth armor different from your neighbor's cloth armor. The ability to design a unique logo or crest that you can then add to the armor. And this diversity in crafting kind of offsets the monotony of the problem in early crafting games where every shirt looks the same, you know, that whole conundrum. Um, progression is the last one they mentioned. 
And that's pretty self-explanatory. Progression addresses kind of the experience of interacting with the crafting system over time. Um, and that uh, games that kind of read higher in this dimension, such as those with deep crafting prerequisite trees or leveling up your avatar crafting systems, um, afford a greater sense of growth and development. Um, or if you want to really <laughs> boil it down, it extends gameplay, right? So progression is, is again, that, that word gating comes into comes into play because <clears throat> you want your crafting system to be to last the length of the game um, and even some last beyond the end of maybe the 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 story or the mint ability of gameplay um, progression I guess is often directly tied to leveling of a character for example or a skill um, and then they'll do the whole gatekeeping recipes and materials and um, you see this in, in a lot of them. So I, I did a history check and the, some of these I've never heard of. Some of these I'd heard of. Um, and the earliest one I could find, and, and I'm sure I will be wrong about this on many levels, but as far as crafting goes and having a legitimate crafting system, I'm not talking about going out to find this flower so you can then, uh, feed it to this person so that they will feel better, which was King's Quest. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, an actual system that was developed and thought through and built. So Ars Magica 1987 used something called Lab Projects, and that enabled you to enchant items in weaponry. Um, this one was interesting because I, I was aware of this one. 1989, there was a multi-user dungeon. You guys familiar with that term, MUD? Mud, yeah. yeah. Good old days. Um, so Avalon came out in 1989, and it included a pretty basic crafting system. And with each iteration, it evolved over time, but kind of started with those bare bones. Um, this one was interesting. In 1990, on the Amiga 500 home computer, there was a game called Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. This game is notable in crafting because it was as people have said on the internet and who knows if they're right or not, one of the first games that really was about crafting, one of the major components of gameplay was uh, use of recipes and spells. It has this entire book that came with it, um, which kind of brings back memories to me. Uh, when you bought the games back then, of course they came in physical boxes and had all sorts of goodies in the box that you would get with them. And this one came with a, Book of Recipes and Spells. And it's pretty funny because you can find it, uh, find it online. There's still people who use emulators to play it, but um, it used a technique called Invisiclues. Does anybody remember Invisiclues? I'm aging myself. As the silence grows, I will explain. So Invisiclues were books that you would get a pen and, and they would just have a bunch of random repetitive text over the page, but then it would have uh, clue number one. And then next to clue number one, you'd take the pen and, and you would use it to highlight. And then it would slowly reveal whatever that clue is. Um, so this was, was an interesting find for me. I thought it was very interesting. The other one uh, that was really prominent that people listed was called Legends of Future Past, which was 1992. And this was a CompuServe, which was the name of an old ISP company allowed you to play this over the internet. 
So it was really kind of the first text-based MUD online game that offered a detailed crafting system with it. And players could harvest resources like ores, herbs, skins, use them to make weapons and armor, enchant items. Um, pretty big deal. And then we move on to 1996. Here's the quiz. Does anybody know what happened in 1996 that was a big uh, release? Anyone want to take a guess? I was, I was six at the time. I don't remember. Daggerfall <laughs> came out around that time? Yes, bingo. Yes, Remoran, you got it. So Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall 1996 came out on PC, of course. And it was the first crafting system for an Elder Scrolls game. Um, you used the aid of members of each guild. Uh, you would have to actually go and speak to somebody to do it um, using found or bought recipes or through trial and error. Um, you could use, they had three different ones, I think. There was the potion maker, the spell maker, and there was another one. Oh, uh, enchanting, which was the magic item maker. Um, yeah, so the potion maker was, I believe, within the temples. You would go in there. They helped you create single effect potions. The spell makers were in the Mages Guild. Those were the ones that allowed you to create spells. But what was really cool about that, and I remember this because I went back and played it about five or six years ago and replayed it, is that it allowed you to create a spell with three effects. But what was cool was you could pick those effects. So you really were kind of crafting this spell. I mean, sure, it's an illusion. It's all zeros and ones. We know that. But the idea that I could have a spell that would do three completely different things was kind of cool. Um, then the enchanting in that was a gated ability. It was one that you had to have a high rank, I think, to do it. Um, but here's my favorite thing about Daggerfall. If you guys haven't played it, and this, I, I just remember this to the day. If you created a magic item and it was created using souls or creatures' souls, and the item broke, the soul was immediately released and began attacking you, which I absolutely love that mechanic. And I wish more people did that. I thought it was pretty awesome. I don't remember if they did that in Morrowind. I don't think they oh, did. No. No. Yeah. I think they got rid of that, but I'm not sure why, but I thought that was awesome. So, you know, if you collect the soul of this particular creature and, and it, uh, enchanted your sword and your sword broke down or broke then you're screwed you have to then think, fight that creature i think we might we might see this in the wayward realms yeah absolutely and it's i don't know why it's not around more but um ultima online uh the the whole online thing that happened in the late 90s and the breaking of the 2000s where you had ultima online everquest Microsoft's was uh, Asheron's Call, RuneScape. All of those embraced crafting in a big way and took it to, to like a new level with auction houses and player economies and that kind of influenced crafting as well. Um, and then one that came up like in everything I looked at, uh, and I have to admit that I think I played this a long, long time ago, but I don't remember it enough, was Legend of Mana. And that was 1999. And this was a breakthrough in crafting because evidently this was like crafting on steroids. Um, and if you look up like 
how to craft in the original Legend of Mana. Um, evidently, the there's like doctoral dissertations on how to get it done. And it was just uh, really heavy duty. And then, of course, in later in 2011, we get Minecraft and that kind of changed the whole game. And and then you have games for casual players like Harvest Moon, Animal Crossing, Stardew Valley. Those all are crafting focused games. So I thought it was interesting to kind of go back and look and see how it kind of has accelerated, um, especially after Minecraft became so popular. Um, now it feels like to me, every game has to have a crafting system, right? It feels like that's that's a that's a go to. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate, actually. I agree with that. I, I don't think anything should be a we have to have this. Um, but then the next question comes up as to why do we craft? Um, why is it in almost every game now? What is it about crafting that is addictive? Does anybody want to chime in and tell me what do you like about crafting? And if you like it, why do you like it? I mean, I personally, I see crafting as like a in games as like a, a spectrum and like on the opposite sides of the spectrum are like there um, there's an immersion aspect and then like the other side of it is kind of a progression like you want to get better gear um and it, a lot of times in in games the crafting gear is like way better but they're kind of contradictory because like if you put too much immersion in it uh it, it kind of takes longer to craft like if it's just a ui then that's the progression like i think pillars of eternity that's kind of just the ui but you look at something like Skyrim, that's kind of more immersion. But to be honest, you can you can find gear faster than you can create the the strong gear. Yeah. So there's that weird spectrum. Personally, I like the immersion part. Like I craft because I think it's cool, like role play aspect of my character. Like when I started playing Skyrim's uh, survival mode, for some reason, I immediately went into a mine and started mining and made my own sword. And I never did that originally in Skyrim until I played this, the survival mode. For, so for me, it's an immersion thing. It feels good. My, char my character building something feels good. Yeah, I think uh, if you're going to have a crafting system, it has to uh, have some kind of, uh, I, I don't know, uh, world building or uh, aspect to it, or it's you know very integral to the game. Like let's say um, herbalism and alchemy in Morrowind, uh, or then it has to be like very important in that the. It gives you essence, essential things like think of RuneScape uh, crafting as opposed to Pillars of Eternity, which could have had you know no crafting. At the, I think the gameplay would have been almost the same because the only things you made with crafting was some potions and foods and uh, some entrance to weapons. When I uh, when I think of crafting that I would like, the word that comes to mind for me is always the impact, and uh, just having those crafting systems contributing to something else in the game that you're uh, trying to work towards, whether it's part of the main game or it's just something that you find interesting. So, like in Skyrim, I did a lot of crafting, but it wasn't because I enjoyed doing the crafting, but is because I was able to level up my skills and it was able to level up my characters. But that was contributing to something that I wanted. And so I enjoyed it. Whereas in something like uh, when I played Fallout 4, 
uh, I wanted a suppressor on my gun and I couldn't find one. I went and grafted it and put it on my gun and that impacted the way I wanted to play the game. So uh, for me, it's just impact upon your player experience that should be what I would say is the driving force where something like Pillars of Eternity, uh, for me personally, I found the crafting in that game non-impactful. I actually forget that it is even there most of the time. It's also, can you get something out of the crafting system that you can't get otherwise? It, it's hard for me to recall because I haven't played it in over a decade, but I think in the original Witcher, the Witcher 1 computer game, there were things that were either hideously expensive or you couldn't get if you, you didn't craft it, especially with regards to the potions. Yeah, I don't remember. I uh, can't. I don't remember much about Witcher One, especially. But um, I kind of see where you're all coming from in that there has to be some sort of immersion was mentioned, um, and that kind of the crafting, the mechanic introduces this almost like a strategy uh, in the game of um, what you were saying, Gingerino, where you. You're, it's not just immersion, but it's it's important to the style of w the way you play. In other words, if you're a stealthy player, for example, you would want to get that silencer or or whatever. Um, so I can see that. Um, I also think control. I think somebody kind of alluded to this, that just giving you the ability to shape and control your interaction with the game space is a big deal. And people really like that, uh, obviously. Um, so then here's the next question. Um, uh, this is not a question. I'm going to make it a statement of truth. Um, and this is just, sorry, sometimes the truth hurts. So this might hurt a little bit, but crafting systems are designed to be addictive. I don't know. The Witcher, yes. I remember Witcher 3 and I, I told myself this is overwhelming and I don't like this. So the complexity of it? Yeah, I, I mean, like, uh, this. I mean, it's a huge game, and apart from just the crafting mechanics, there's the character development mechanics and the meter genes, and it's it's also a lot of things that overwhelms a new player, especially. And there's so much to do in that game. It kind of the crafting stuff kind of I don't know drowned. I miss all the everything else, but I I, I didn't find it. Uh, like addictive, I find it found it a little bit even annoying. So you're a WoW player, though, right? WoW has got a huge crafting system that is definitely built on the concept of the carrot on the stick. Oh, um, did I say WoW or Witcher Three? No, you said Witcher Three, but I know you have played oh, yeah, yeah. World of Warcraft yeah, before. Well, did you craft of... in that? Yeah, yeah, but oh no, I don't. That wasn't addictive. The game itself is addictive. The, I think the crafting system is just part of the game. And you usually, if you have a high level character and you do something worthwhile, you need to have some crafting skills. Good point. And now maybe, so, a, maybe not in a clinical sense, but designers do want you to, they want the player to feel engaged in the content of the world that they created. So that carrot on a stick system, I feel is, is core to any crafting yeah. system. It, it's integral and I feel like, so my favorite or one of my favorite crafting experiences that I had was in World of Warcraft um, years and years ago. Uh, I decided that I wanted to create, a, I think it was Sulphurus Hand of Ragnaros. Um, and this was after, after it 
it, it was old content, but still, uh, the way to get the recipe, I think you had to go inside of a dungeon. There was a bar in a dungeon that you had to speak to this dwarf and buy the recipe or something like that. It's a long time ago, so I may be wrong, but building it took a really long time. And then you had to get one piece from uh, a raid boss, Ragnaros himself, which took me six months of doing it every week by myself. And this is, wow. again, way after. And I did it every week. And when you actually build it, you have to go to this like lava waterfall all the way in the bottom of the dungeon and craft it in that specific spot. And then it took, you know, normally it, it, there's like a crafting bar and it takes like 10 seconds to build a, something. It took like 60 seconds or something instead of normal. And it just felt epic. It's that carrot on the stick that you were talking about that I feel like I think is integral because I still remember that to this day. And I still have it somewhere in my inventory. I don't play WoW uh, anymore, but it's somewhere in one of my characters. Well, I think it's it's that dopamine. It's the release of that neurotransmitter, the the feeling that you get when you finally do it. And and you even see that on the horizon as you're in the in the process of crafting to build this item. You know that that happiness and pleasure is just over the horizon. So you're pushing and pushing and pushing, and and it's finally released when. When you you make that accomplishment and then, then you know it's that gone. then it's gone <laughs> or then they release a patch <laughs> then they release a patch that makes it obsolete or not as powerful as it was which is a whole another conversation but so um, what they did what they did was they created in a later raid boss they created a better looking version of it that was just a purple epic that anyone could get and I was like ah oh, oh, well that sucks see oh, that's man. just like stepping on your own feet I think as a developer but hey all that time that you spent trying to get that super cool sword that you made by yourself yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to spend the same amount of time to get uh, well no not if it's a drop but um, that that's a whole another concept I'll get into later uh, but um, I think crafting employs multiple mechanisms to make use of the science around addiction is what my point was. I think reinforcement, creativity, gating, progression, this false sense of accomplishment, you know, that has an effect on your brain and body. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, here's the point. Who cares if I'm being manipulated, right? If I'm happy, if it brings me happiness, if I work an eight hour day, and I go into a game and I craft for two hours straight um, and it brings me pleasure. Who cares if I'm being manipulated, right? I, I, uh, that's one, one way to see it. I think for me, it works the other way. I, I, see, I see past it and it, uh, it's without meaning now and I can't play the game anymore. Interesting. So is it this just reflection looking back on it? I've taken the red pill. <laughs> it's like it, it's like it's like you 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 make your own private server in WoW, and then you get everything that you ever wanted, and then you realize after five minutes that it's super boring. Right. You see right past all that, all those systems. That happened. Um, I don't know if you remember um, a game called what was the superhero game City of Heroes. When they went offline, they created private servers for that one, and and that's when crafting and player economies just went to shit because people would it's either you would pay the guy who owns the server to boost your numbers or you would accomplish something and it just it felt empty um you would get it too quickly like you were saying you know and it was like boom 
okay, now what? Um, which is why I think that that a good craft, well, I wouldn't say good, why I think a successful crafting system keeps putting that carrot. There's another carrot on the stick before you even eat the carrot that you were going for originally, and it's further down the road. And I think that that's in pretty much every component of gameplay, right? I mean, it's not just crafting, but here, here's a, I made a list um, of the reasons why a game should not include a crafting mechanic. Because I kind of agree with Kiwi, and I feel like it has become this thing that is almost a monkey on the back of developers where they're like, oh, we're releasing an RPG. Well, crap, we got the game done. I guess we got to have like a blacksmith somewhere so they can make crap. You know, sometimes it feels like there's this pressure that they have to do it. So here are the reasons, and you can disagree, but here are the reasons I think you should not have crafting in a game mechanic. If the reason for having crafting is because it is expected, you should not put it in there. If the reason is because it is fun, you should not put it in there. That one I think is probably debatable. But the reason I say that you should not put a crafting system in a game because it is fun, because you're losing sight of why you're creating the game in the first place. You're, Amen. You're, you don't understand what you're doing. You've lost your way. Um, you could put car driving in Skyrim. It would be fun, right? But no, it increases the length of the game is another thing that developers do. They put crafting in because it, it, the grinding mechanic, the, the original sin of gating, you know, it just makes the game longer. Um, also, people put it in because it increases the depth of the world and the connection to the world. This one, I believe a lot of you probably would disagree with me on, but I don't think you should put crafting into a game to give depth to your world. Anybody disagree with that? I disagree with that. I, also uh, I, I, I might also disagree with that. <laughs> it depends on the execution, <laughs> but in general, I'd advise not to do a crafting system. All right, well, tell me your thoughts. Uh, I mean, if you had an RPG that was like, it was such a well-built world and everything was super in-depth and no detail was glossed over, um, and you're just like, wow, this is one of the most wor- immersive worlds I've ever been in. And then you think to yourself, I'd like to craft my own sword. And it's like, ah, doesn't exist, can't do it. Uh, it just, I don't know. Like it, I feel like depending on the game, that if that's something the developers want to include and it is going to add to the world building, then I think that's a good thing to add in. So mine is, is more specific. Again, it's, it's the Witcher series. One of the points of being a Witcher is that you can, you, you can consume potions that give you great power that would be toxic to other people. So obviously, only Witchers know how to make these potions. Therefore, if you make a computer game about these Witchers, you should include at least they somehow to get a hold of this potion or simulate that part of the lore. Okay, I'll, 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 I like that argument. That's a good example too. Very specific. Um, the, the problem comes though when the developer creates the crafting system to increase the value of the world, and that's why they create the system. Do you see what I'm saying? When the point of it is to increase engagement in the world, because you didn't include that component in the first place. In other words, 
you don't feel your game has enough engagement. So you're going to add a crafting system. It's just manufactured fake engagement with the content. Yeah. Um, I'd say that when you're making a game, um, maybe you should never have like, you know, when you have some kind of big to-do list that crafting is there. It should be like, uh, it should, uh, the need for a crafting system should come organically, like for Witcher 3 po- or Witcher game uh, uh, potions. I don't know. I feel like crafting systems can be well utilized. Like one of the f- my most enjoying parts of Fallout 4 was building settlements and then customizing my guns for each particular part. Mm. I know a yeah. lot of people don't like those games or blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I felt that that made the experience so much better and it's part of the reason i spent so much time in it i think that was organic like you you are living in a, a post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland where you have to use your survival skills to uh, survive and that uh, includes making weapons well i i I'll, I'll meet you halfway on that and be like it is definitely organic in the sense you're trying to remake settlements in the wasteland but you're also trying to find your oh, son. And also, the, like some of the things that we made in our settlements were not very useful for the yeah. settlements. I hate the settlement <laughs> system. I hate the settlement system. And yeah, I mean, I mean each their own, right? Like, I, but personally, I mean, I, I like that stuff. And if the, gay, the developer, like Bethesda, clearly enjoyed or at least wanted to include it in their systems, I mean, Skyrim's got a huge crafting system and so does the Fallout <laughs> games. I, I like the word that Kiwi used organic, and I think it ties into what parenthesis with your excellent example from The Witcher is that it, it has to, and I believe uh, Gingerino mentioned one too, where it, it and, and Rimran with Skyrim uh, survival edition, that, that, that survival mechanic really changes the game and it also changes crafting um, when it's organic, when it feels part. Like it is intertwined when it doesn't feel like this thing that we added later because we wait, they don't get enough connection with the world or they see this plant. Maybe we should let them pick it. You know, it just it's not an afterthought. It's integrated heavily into the game world in a realistic way or the game's narrative in a realistic way. Um, And it factors into the gameplay. It feels natural and not, not some sort of random distraction here. Here's a thought. Um, what do you feel about this? Uh, I believe crafting, if it's put in a game should not be optional. Agree. Anybody disagree with that? Uh, it depends on the game. I mean, yeah, it it really ties into that argument that you shouldn't have uh, the crafting system system if there's no point to it. Like if it just exists there and you don't have to use it, why have it there? I mean, in the same sense, though, it's like if it's something that they want to put in the game, but they recognize that not every player is going to have fun with it, then why would you force the players that you know won't have fun with it to go through it, and instead let the players that would have fun with it uh, use it optionally for their own benefit. You know, again, yeah. you got they got the problem there. That you're you're now think about what you just said. Um, it is now an external component. Yes and no, right? Because like if it's part of the game, like it's part of the core game, and it's something the developers actively want to include, but they recognize that maybe not all of their audience are going to be into it then to remove it would mean that they're taking away from a game that they want to design and that they know parts of their audience would like. But if they make it necessary, then you're just forcing players to like 
go through those levels that you know everybody but isn't gave. that the same thing that game deck did if you lean in on something lean in on it don't don't think that oh well bobby over in kansas he doesn't like crafting so maybe we just make it optional yeah it's like it's about the execution you you can make a great crafting system that uh, uh serves the gameplay rather yeah, than not- it being boring I'm not saying it has to be universal, but I mean, like, there's got to be some games where, like, hey, we wanted to put crafting in the game, but we recognize that not everybody wants to do it, so we're going to make it optional. I, I don't think it should be where I mean, every game this, has to this have is, it. This is like the um, uh, romance options in CRPGs nowadays. That you have to <laughs> exactly. <include> yes. <laughs> Remoran, you were saying something. I was going to say if, like, I spent hundreds of hours in Skyrim before I touched crafting. And I got to spend dozens of hours crafting and finding out that I actually really love crafting. Um, But for someone who doesn't like crafting, if it were made uh, mandatory, then they wouldn't get to the parts of Skyrim that I loved the first time I played through it. So I feel like if if you're going to do it, like make it optional, but also make it good. Okay, like, fair enough. I think that's a good argument, and that that you're you're gating content. So you're so if you have to, kind of what Gingerino was, I guess you were saying that too, and that if you have to do it, then that could preclude you know something down the road. I don't know. I, I just feel like you you if you want to make a crafting game, make a damn crafting game. If you want to make a great RPG, make a great RPG, and don't lose focus. That would be my my advice um, in that situation. Um, so if there is a crafting system and let's think about, uh, you can think about examples, but what, what, and we can even look forward to a vow. Let's, let's do that. We can even, we, so let's recognize what pillars of eternity was, right? So just real quick, um, pillars one and two did allow crafting. Um, but, but, and I could be, tell me if I'm wrong, but basically crafting was for two, two reasons either a math game, you're increasing a stat boost, plus 25% of whatever, right? Or it was an offensive tool if you were creating bombs or scrolls. Those are the only two things I can really think of that would, and they weren't essential to the game. In other words, I I don't know who said it. I think it was maybe Kiwi, but that you could play through the game just fine. You don't have to craft in Pillars 1 or 2. It was very much felt like to me maybe, and I don't know this for sure, but it felt like it might have been one of those stretch goals and that if we get here for raising money for the game, we'll include crafting. I don't know. It just didn't feel fluid with the game. I do not think they did a good job with it. I think it should have either not been there or if you're going to have it there, have it there for a reason. Um Aora, you can make consumable goods such as foods, potions, scrolls, enchantments, so on and so forth. But crafting is just not, it's, it just feels tacked on in pillars to me. Um, th- did I miss anything in pillars? Does anybody want to talk a little bit about your experience in crafting in pillars before we, we kind of etch out what we want to see in Avowed? I, I actually did like the upgrading system in Pillars and uh, 1 and 2, especially in 2. Uh, that might be controversial, but, but there it is. Uh, I, I found that to be a somewhat more interesting uh, option of having to improve your weapons 
especially in the two uh, where it was far less freeform and was more um, authored content where you have to make decision, oh, do I want to, with my pistol to shock or to fire through and that sort of thing. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I agree that two definitely uh, took it to another level. Um, and I do believe in two it was part of a stretch goal, if I remember correctly. But um, uh, yeah, I can see that. The upgrade system is definitely... Anybody else? Uh, Gingerino, did you like uh, crafting in pillars? Uh, not, not particularly. I like the concept behind obsidian crafting systems where it's optional and it's there to improve the gear that you have right now that you like. Because uh, a lot of times in games, you have this particular armor set you're wearing or weapon set you have, and then you get a whole bunch of weapons and armor going through a dungeon. Now you have to fiddle through your inventory to see which one's better. Whereas if you just have an upgrade system, you can keep the stuff that you like and upgrade it. I like that concept, but I, honestly, in Pillars of Eternity, I found it really unimpactful. Like I, I think I saw the enchant button a couple times and I pressed it and I didn't find it very engaging. And I never used it personally. Yeah, for me, it was uh, and, I, and I appreciate what parenthesis said, but for me, it was like a math game. It's like, uh, you know, do I want a stat boost or not? Do I, you know, uh, uh, yeah, um, but I kind of want to keep going through the story. For me, it was like, do I derail myself a little bit and do this or do I just keep moving forward? Obviously, I didn't need crafting to finish the game. So uh, done it a couple of times. So I, it's it wasn't essential uh, to do it, um, not to disparage those who liked it. I think that's great that you enjoyed it. But um, I guess when we're bringing into context the question of Avowed, you, you got to remember Obsidian. I mean, look at the games they've been putting out recently. You have, um, you have on one hand, you have the pillars approach to crafting. And then on the other hand, you have Grounded. I mean, you have two extremes, two complete extremes within the same company. and I don't even remember. Oh, I do remember a little bit. I just replayed the dang game. And isn't it funny that I just replayed it and I can't even remember much about the crafting system in Outer Worlds? I do kind of remember. I mean, I do. Yes, you had the, the, the stations you would go to and you could upgrade the weapons. You could attach the whatever the packs were. And uh, I don't know. Um, But it wasn't really didn't really feel like crafting per se, like making something out of almost nothing. Um, so if you take in the pillars approach, which is one extreme and then grounded, which is the other, um, you have to think about the mentality in the studio and which direction do you think they're going to pull themselves when they're developing a vow? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I think they'll probably lean more towards the outer worlds and pillars side of things. Cause I mean, grounded is specifically a survival crafting game. And so I think they're making the mechanics for that game specifically because that's the philosophy and design for it. Whereas in uh, Outer Worlds and Pillars, it wasn't as necessary, but they had it anyways. I think they'll probably do the same thing in Avowed. It's just kind of the feel I would get for what they like to do. Uh, parenthesis, what do you think? Do you, th- when you're looking at Avowed, how would you, what would you say you would want to see in a crafting system if they were sitting across the table from you and they're like taking notes? What do you want them to write down? I would want them to write down that they should make the crafting system. They should reduce the width of it uh, and increase the depth of it. They should make it more impactful. 
they should try to tie optional story content or mechanics into it. I mean, we're already probably going to discuss it later, but if we have the concept of souls, so we might actually do something with it. If you craft a weapon with it, then the, the weapon's name or abilities might change depending on how you use it because it is alive at a fundamental level. They craft a talking sword. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, you have a sword, you slay a lot of giants. Perhaps it's now the giant being sword because it has been infused by the death it has, been, it has dealt. These, I think these things would tie it to the setting that we are in and make it memorable instead of just, oh, well, you crafted the plus two sword. Yeah, if you're going to craft <laughs> something, make it matter, right? Exactly. But I love the idea, the example of the giant sword. I love the, I love that idea. I hope that you're listening and that they hear that because I think that the soul idea, since it's so much a part of, of the world and, um, and we know, know you, the, we know it's a part of the world because we know that soulbound weapons exist and we have, we have read their descriptions in the two games that they, that, well, this, this person did this and this with it. And now you have it and now it has this ability. That was not an ability you can make. I mean, for, for instance, is it Saint Wycorn's Redeemer or whatever that destroys vessels? How did that happen? Was it made like this? Did it acquire the power? Did it get it from its, its actions? Did it get it from its user? How can we make such a thing? Can we make our own legend in a game? How magical would that be? How adventurous? How fantastical? I have a, I have a question I want to ask. All right. Let's say this would be fun. Let's say in Avowed that if you kill a person and you somehow through animancy reasons, take their soul and put it into a weapon that it would give a weapon a trait, right? Kind of like what Parenthes is saying. Right. But what if for all the major NPCs in Avowed, you got a unique trait? Like it was a completely unique, not just a standard issue trait, but you know, if you kill the first quest giver you give and you put his soul into a sword that you're carrying, that sword now has a very unique trait that is specific to that one soul that you took. I'm curious how many playthroughs of the game where all the major oh NPCs God. would be dead. <laughs> but see what a great idea is. It doesn't even have to be NPCs, but like just the idea of this is something I've always loved is crafting systems that really let you create something unique. In other words, I, I can't just go buy it at the damn vendor. You know, something like what you're saying is, let's say that you will use the NPC example. Let's say that you killed this NPC here and this one in this town over here and this one in the land across the sea and with the same weapon. And now you have this weapon that has like these three different types of traits mixing together into one to really oh, create yeah. something unique. That's actually cool. You like strategically combine specific traits together even. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. They've even they've they've done something like this before in, in Mask of the Betrayer, uh, the No Internet's 2 expansion. You can make the craft the amulet of betrayal personified, which requires the component the companion as essences of Kaelin, Gan, Oku, and Sophia, or Kaelin Gan, one of many, and Sophia. This is not new territory. Oh, and there's the I, I think there's something like it when, if you if you do something awful, uh, if you sacrifice a companion to that uh, pool of blood or whatever it is in the yeah, skin temple. Yeah. So so we've been around this concept before in Obsidian RPGs. 
Yeah, so they I they should just systematize it and make it for all the major NPCs. <laughs> what a programming <laughs> nightmare. Oh man, do you have any more quests to give me? No? Okay, good. I will kill you now. <laughs> yeah. I I want your soul. Um okay. Interesting. Uh oh my god. Yeah, it would be thank god it it's not an be, MMO because it would everybody be a would murder be dead. hobo game for sure. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah. Um so Rimran, I want to hear from you. You if you were you you know about Avowed, you you're you're looking forward to it as well. This big RPG, what what would be on your wish list? I'd like it to be somewhere in between Grounded and Pillars of Eternity, where like you can build something, something very unique. I mean, putting like unique traits in it would be awesome. Uh, I don't know about the the, the feasibility, but something like that really feels uh, connected to the world around you. You know, I don't want to just like you know, pick mining nodes and then build a, a, like a sword that exists in the world. I want to build a unique kind of looking sword or maybe even a unique effect. If it's just a UI thing, then I think don't bother. Fair enough. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. If it's just a UI thing and I would just go to, so let me say this to listeners uh, before you jump on your email. I love Outer Worlds. I think it's a great game. I enjoyed it. I played the damn thing full all the way through twice. So obviously I like the game. Oh my God. The, the, who cares if I stop at this station and add this to my machine gun or whatever, or to my, my phaser. Or, oh my God. I mean, really? I mean, it's so tacked on. So please don't do the outer worlds model. God help me, please. That's yeah. my prayer. It was it was not very impactful. I would say I don't know. It's pointless. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, then don't do it. It'll still be a fantastic game. You know why do you have to have it if you're just going to add it as this side thing? There's in in Outer Worlds. Since I'm picking on that one, there was there was no creativity. There's no. It doesn't encourage individuality. There's no uniqueness. I can buy stuff from the next vendor next door. A spacer from you know Canon from this guy. it, it doesn't encourage exploration at all. It, the, I mean, the crafted items aren't necessarily more powerful than the ones I pick up off the guy I just killed in the cave. So what's the point? I think the only... It's also... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the only thing that I think the crafting in Outer Worlds was good for that... For me personally, I'm not like... Everyone's different in how they play a game, but I mean, you were able to go above the default damage limit on weapons and stuff like this there was a couple weapons where i'm like oh cool i can overpower it and that was nice but that was it you know and you had to access that particular trait by upgrading certain skills in the first place right it It was a skill connected to the skill tree yeah so it was like there was a couple nice things but yeah i i agree it did feel kind of tacked on and but you know I, i like the idea i just if it was a little more tied to the world, like you said, or had a, a different level of customization or impact to it, I think it would have just hit home a lot better. But personally, sorry, Remoran, go ahead. I interrupted you. I was just going to say that uh, I, it was also a little annoying that you had to use like armor parts to repair your gear, uh, because I felt like, at least in our worlds, that the, the gear would would degradate pretty quickly. If I remember correctly, it's been a while since I played it. Um, but I remember having to use armor parts um, to do that or to upgrade that I didn't really like. I, it just felt like you were forcing me to 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 uh, 
break apart armor and and use it to some arbitrary system. I didn't really like it. It's creating a it's creating a meaningless cycle a meaningless cycle of player interactivity. Completely meaningless. I'm, take me to anybody can take me to court for that, but it is it's pointless. It is completely pointless. It's why did you do that? You have a great story. You have great characters. You have a great game. Make them degrade. That's fine. And they did degrade pretty quickly, especially if you kept using the same ones. Oh, but no, uh, I would, don't degrade the armor. I, that all I, it was yeah. was a time waster. Like there was. So I do. Much I don't really understand that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the reality of it, the realistic being okay, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, real, real is, but if you're going to go for realism, you could make an in-depth crafting system, right? But like the armor thing, I had so many armor parts because you see them everywhere that every one, every half hour of playing that game, okay, go in the menu, fix my stuff. Like it didn't, there's no, it, it just spent time that I didn't need to spend as a gamer. Right, in the story. exactly. Like, broke up the narrative. Like I get why degradation is important for realism and immersion. Sorry, I'm getting on my high horse here. I just, I didn't like that part personally. <laughs> but it, it takes you away from the greatness. That would be my quote to them. It yeah, takes and- you away from what you're good at. It was a great game. That's the thing, right? Like it, it still is a great game. I love that one. But it, yeah, it's just, ugh. It's why do you make me take this side path? I'm really engaged right now. I'm really, it's like you, it's like you, you're watching a great movie at home, right? And you're really getting into it and it's just absolutely amazing. And then your phone rings and you have to take this call and, or uh, somebody's like, oh, can you go turn on the porch light? It's, it's the neighbor council. I mean, I'm making crap up as I go and it doesn't make sense. But my point is you get pulled out. You're, you're pulled out. It's crazy when it's one thing, when it's somebody else's fault, but it's worse when it's the fault of the person writing the story themselves. They're the ones who pull you out of their own story, and that's crazy. So if I was going to sit down with them, here are the things I would list that are important to me. I think in crafting uniqueness, I think if I can buy it, why craft it? If if I'm crafting items and they're not for somehow more powerful than items I can purchase, then why would I put in the work and effort in the first place? It doesn't, you know, I mean, if unless they're going to be more powerful or better, what's the point? And I want a crafting system that encourages exploration. And yes, this feeds into the whole gating argument. I get it. You know, geographical distinction of resources, you know, distinct resources in different areas, forcing you to travel. I know that that's slightly fabricated, but I like that it pushes you to explore. It pushes you to maybe go into crevices or areas that you don't may, maybe wouldn't normally go to. Um, I want it to be creative and individualistic. I want my armor that I make to be able to look like something I would make or my I'm role playing. Right. So my character, which I role play, is, is this individual character, which I give ownership, my own personality to. I want them to be able to showcase that. So, and I want it to maybe go farther than what you saw in like Skyrim. You know, I understand that that Falmer armor looks different than Wood Elf armor. Um, actually, I don't even know if Falmer had armor, but you know what I mean. They, they they look different. I get it, but I want it to go a step beyond. I want it to be personalized. I want the if you're going to give a crafting system, let me create something where I feel like I am furthering my role play. I'm I'm. Not just about the world, but it's about me. Um, and then I would want a crafting system that adds to the meaning of the story. 
So like, for example, uh, and this is a terrible example. I'm just coming up with it on the top of my head. So forgive me. But let's say you find a small, uh, a small farm at the base of a mountain. Uh, the farmer's child was bitten by a snake or whatever. This sounds like something straight out of uh, Zelda, but it was bitten by a snake. And you have to go uh, milk the ant anti-venom from a snake somewhere in the mountains of such and such. And then you have to mix it with something else. So it has restorative properties. In other words, I'm not just making 10 vials of anti-venom to level up a skill. I'm doing it for something related to what's happening in the world. It's engaging to me. It's part of the story. It's part of the narrative. Um, there's my rant. Um, did Thanks, I miss Francis anything? I, I think Francis has mentioned something about um, uh, having it tie into optional content, like like side quests. I remember World of Warcraft did something like in one of the expansions, one of the later expansions, where they did all the recipes that you got. You had to do a quick side quest for it, and people didn't like it. I personally loved it because it makes me feel like, okay, I'm a blacksmith because I had to do this for this blacksmith person, and he's teaching me how to make this that only he knows and i think that that example of the the snake venom it really shows that and i i i hope that they do something like that yeah it, it, i just it adds to the story which is what you're good at stick with what you're good at and don't create things i mean here's another truth and this i guarantee i don't always guarantee things 100 percent, but this is 100 percent. people crafting is going to be an avowed period Okay. Um, it's going to be there. It's not, not going to be there. It's what level are they going to have crafting and avowed? Because this is a triple A title. This is expected of them. You know, are, are they going to do the tacked on thing? Are they going to do something deeper? Who knows? We have to have faith in them that they are learning their lessons uh, through time, which is funny because this kind of leads into a fan email. I'm going to mention later that we got uh, from somebody who's a listener, but um I guess we'll 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 end it with um, you know we know that it's going to be in avowed we know that it's coming um, please listen to your people um, not just yourselves in the office but talk to us talk to fans what do we want what are we looking for I understand that you can't please everyone and then the last thing would be pick a path and go down it um, any last words of advice for them as they're continuing to develop the game. I think that for me, for crafting to have any weight, it need to have constraints. That was one of the things it lacked in Pillars of Eternity, because, for instance, the stash was infinite. You could hover up everything. You could make everything everywhere. I, 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 can't, I think you needed recipes. I'm not entirely certain. But it was incredibly permissive, and it, and it lacked constraints. It lacked blocks it, and, and therefore it became fluffy and lightweight and meant very very little please don't do that yeah i, I remind me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure in pill and pillars one for sure that you know all the recipes at the beginning of the game right it's part of the interface it's just there am i wrong yeah, I don't think you have to find recipes. I, I don't think you, you have, have to have find to them. I think the they're resources. just given to you and um, at the beginning of the game. Um, and I, I agree with what you're saying, Parenthesis, 100%. I, I think that that's a key. The constraints aspect, you know, is, is a key to making, is to giving it weight. 
in depth. Um, Gingerino, Rimran, you got any last words for them? I mean, if they're listening, I, I, I love the guy, the games you guys make, uh, you guys and gals over there. Um, so I'm not terribly worried about it, to be honest. But I mean, if you're doing crafting, um, the only thing I would say is like, how does it impact the player? Um, how does it spend their time? Just the, kind of those basic questions on that. And, you know, stick with your guns on it, too. Right. Like, even though I think that some people agree with Sora that maybe the other world's crafting felt tacked on, there are probably some people who are glad it was there. And who are we to say who's right and who's wrong on that? So, yeah, stick with your guns on it, but um, make an intentional choice is all I would say, which is probably what your leadership is saying to you guys already. So I'm just, right. I'm just rehashing uh, the memos over at Obsidian now. Remoran? Yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I feel like I, I enjoy uh, what they do regardless or for the most part. Um, so for me, it's just like, just make it fun. Small adding small things that other games have. Like I don't know, have you guys done crafting in like Final Fantasy fourteen? The mini game style crafting is so fun, and I feel like it would be so fun to do something like that and feel more immersed. I don't know. Yeah, we haven't even really taught touched on our favorites. Like if we had any favorites, um, I know that Final Fantasy fourteen actually came up in my research for this podcast quite a bit as people pointing to it as. Uh, as a pretty unique but engaging system. Um, can you tell me more about it? It's been a while since I played it. I've stepped away for a while, but um, r- remind me about how that works. Each, each of the classes, because they're full-on, they, they, they're jobs inside Final Fantasy XIV. Each of the crafting jobs, ha- like they're all about like specific kind of mini games. Like Even mining has its own kind of uh, choices that you make as you mine because you might get something rare if you do if you use a specific ability but you might like not get something if you if if you do it so like it increases your chances so like a there's like a whole little mini game in each of them and then when you craft it um again you make those decisions that probably make it a higher chance of making a high quality item but it like puts the uh, chance that it might break the item or something like that so right increases the risk and the reward yeah. at the same time mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I do remember one game uh, that I enjoyed the crafting in. I know it's not perfect, but I liked the way that Dragon Age Inquisition did it. Um, basically, there was no leveling or grinding involved, if I can remember correctly. All you needed was the schematics and the materials, um, which I thought was interesting. So it took out that, that kind of grinding mechanic, I feel, a little bit more than other games. Um um, you could also craft the same item with different materials. And I don't know of any other game that does that um, where you can make the same item, but with different things. Gingerino, what's your favorite crafting game? This is where I realized that I am not a gamer who should ever critique crafting in games because it's not something I really pay attention to or use that much. Um, the, the only game I can think of where I, I really leaned into the crafting is probably Fallout 4. Um, and I know that there I've heard many opinions on whether it's good or it's bad, the game itself or the crafting mechanic, but you know what? I own it. I, I enjoyed it. I liked that if I wanted something for a weapon, I could put it on. I liked that if I wanted to make specific armor, I could. I enjoyed making really goofy, stupid settlements in that game. Um, I, I love I, the settlements. I thought yeah. that was a great idea. Yeah. I mean, 
It was it was fun. fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just fun. And yeah, that's my that's my favorite crafting mechanic. I still sometimes will do it. I don't I'm not hitting as hard with it in Fallout 76, I think, because you can place it anywhere. And so it makes me have like this weird FOMO of, oh, man, what if the what if the place I'm building on right now sucks? But I don't know. I still haven't dipped in that pool yet. I I, 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 I can't bring myself to do it just yet. I know it's that they've. <laughs> Patched it to the to the daylights and back, and I don't know. I just can't. I, one day I will jump in that Life, pool. Life's too short to play games that you don't want to play. So right, you don't right. Play, don't play it. I love Fallout, so I I bought it day one because I love Fallout. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Um, and I've heard they've done a great deal to to bring it up to speed. You know, I mean, even if you look at a game like Final Fantasy or Realm Reborn, that was trash when it first came out, and now it's lauded as probably the best mmo out there so does that seem to happen with a lot of like the big online games is like they release kind of crappy and then they slowly refine into a way better game down the road i think so to an extent but i think that square enix really they they they're the prime example because uh the original release of that was a nightmare so i mean to to a crazy extent now parenthesis i'm going to give you a chance to give us an example of a game that got it right what game that you have played, you can think of, if you were going to point your finger and say, this one got it right, um, would would it be The Witcher? Or is there another game? Well, if it's just crafting, then it's definitely a Factorio, because Factorio is amazing, and it's all about crafting. But if we are talking about RPGs, I, again, I think it is The Witcher, because, especially the first one, because it's thematic, it has weight, it has constraints, it has the whole package. And it was a system I engaged in because I had to engage in it because the fiction of the world forced me to it. I'm a witcher. I need to do this. This is why I am a witcher. Yes, exactly. And I think that's a, the probably the one of the best arguments um, uh, or best examples of how you integrate it into the world and the story because it makes sense. It just makes sense. So we have uh, picked out three emails that um, uh, we're going to go through today real quickly. Um, so the first one is from a listener called Soft uh, Sesh. Again, apologize if I mispronounce your uh, name there. Soft Sesh says, how AAA will Avowed really be? Which is an interesting question. Um I guess this is their first AAA game. Can you think of another game that Obsidian's done that you would be? Con- I mean, Outer Worlds is not AAA for sure. All out of uh, Vegas. Hmm. Uh, maybe. Maybe at the time, the context of the time. Yeah. Fallout New Vegas is probably okay. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But they don't have a whole lot of experience in these in these huge landscapes. They're really good at making stories for these compact uh, little box well i don't want to put it down but for the smaller experiences i think they're they're really excellent at that but when you're talking about epicness does anybody want to chime in to this question how triple a will about be well it kind of has to be now that microsoft is involved i don't think that i think i think they'll have a mandate to, to push it into the triple a not um Piddle around with smaller things when they acquired a studio with as Obsidian. I think they will say there's a waste of their talents and potential. I hope that they, well, I hope they don't 
I hope Microsoft doesn't force them to make it uh, bigger. Um, I think that they should, if they want to make it bigger, they should make it bigger with Microsoft money. I think a good example is I, I read that Psychonauts 2 didn't have boss fights um, before the Microsoft acquisition. And then that with Microsoft's money, they were able to, to, to make the game better, do the thing that they wanted to do that they couldn't do before. So if they want to make it bigger, uh, then it should be bigger. Otherwise, it should be exactly what they wanted to make. I think, if I understand, Microsoft is trying to have a hands-off approach to most of this stuff. That or they're hiding their hands-on approaches very well. <laughs> yeah, I think my, my, my guess is the mixture of what everybody else has said, kind of a mixture of, I know they're feeling the pressure, um, not just from Microsoft, but I think they're feeling the pressure of creating this game that um, is going to be uh, I mean, it's going to be a mass appeal game. It's going to be on the level of a Skyrim, right? That's where it's being placed. It's uh, the expectations, the the fact that it was one of the few trailers that was revealed when they announced the actual Xbox. Um, uh, so it's a big deal, and that pressure and that weight, I know they feel it. But on the same token, like Rimran said, I hope that even though they probably feel it, maybe some of that's more self-imposed than from... Phil Spencer calling them on their phone and saying, you must do this. Um, I hope that they see it as a tool to um, make this thing they always wanted to do. You know, we've never really had these resources. We've never really had th this kind of money. We never really had this much time. Um, so we can do what we wanted to do instead of doing what is expected of us. So I, I think it will be AAA. I think it's going to be very AAA. I think it's going to be expansive, epic, and big. Um, and I, I, I think that that's part of the reason we're probably not going to see it for another couple of years, probably. So they're putting in the time and effort. The next question is from Solus Connor, um, who asks, um, what color tones do you want to see in Avowed? Uh, do you want a muted and dark world or a vibrant and colorful one? I mean, I think it depends on the setting. If it was in the Deadfire Archipelago, I'd say vibrant. If it were in uh, the Eastern Reach, probably something darker like the original Pillars. Uh, if it's in the Living Lands, I hope it's more vibrant. I, I mean, I just I hope the presentation matches the setting. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want. Um, I wouldn't want Outer Worlds vibrant, um, where that may have been appropriate for for some of the worlds they created. I can tell you that <laughs> I actually had to stop playing that game several times because it was too vibrant. Um, it was a little bit over the top. It was almost like a, you know some creature ate a rainbow and then just vomited on my screen. So. I think geographically would be my answer. Make, have it make sense to the region. If it is just the living lands, then maybe give that area as much biome div diversity as you could and then suit it towards whatever the story, wherever the story takes you, maybe. I mean, if it's the living lands, they can do whatever they want. They have set the lore up really well for that area. Princess, did you have a thought on that one? Well, I mean, if it's a landscape, then again, yeah, it, it depends on the setting. But I would like to see some of the human-made elements to be vibrant. And people like colors, so 
if we are inside of keeps, give us colorful tapestries, make important people dress up in colorful clothes, that sort of thing. Make the armor interesting and not just, you know, plates struck together. I like my eye candy. What can I say? Absolutely. I agree with that. I like it. Um, so we have the last question. This is from Maria K, who asked, uh, I th- uh, this isn't an ask. Okay. It's, I think Avowed needs to get rid of dialogue trees completely. <laughs> in fact, I hope the entire dialogue system seen in games like Mass Effect and Fallout go away completely. Make the new system more organic and lifelike. What do you guys think? Ooh, that's a tough one. Oh, boy. It's a strong, yeah. bold opinion there, my friend. That's yeah. a hard disagree for me. I'm sorry. I, I think one of Obsidian's greatest strengths is how well they do dialogue and decision trees based on those dialogues. I think Pillars has an excellent system. I think Outer Worlds has an excellent system. And I, I honestly think if I, because I, I watched some behind the scene videos and stuff, I think they have uh, a custom tool that they've built that creates these trees. And I don't see them ever going away from it. Yeah, I agree that that strength lies uh, greatly in the dialogue. And any other model of dialogue system is simply too untested or already discarded. And I want to go back to the keyword experimental systems that people noodle around with in the 90s. They were not good for the game I want ours to be. I also love when they react to, to me as a person. Like, if they react that I'm a pale elf... I think that's really cool. And I think that's integrated really well into their dialogue system or the disposition system too. I like a lot. Yeah, I would have to say, um, I mean, I make the system more organic and lifelike. Um, I'm not sure where you're going with that, but I, I can conjecture that what you're trying to say is that you don't want to click through a uh, Pokemon style dialogue where you're, you're, you, you know, I can understand how that might pause the game a little bit. Um, and you're like, click, 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 click. I get it. Um, but Obsidian, I mean, I hate to say it, they're, that's their, their story company. Now, how if you're saying something more like what Parenthesis was getting into, where you want something that is, where they're, isn't really a dialogue tree, but there's some sort of creative way to, um, I don't even know how it would work. Like how you approach someone, the time of day you approach them, uh, where you approach them, whether it's in a tavern or at their place of business. If you're talking about something like that and how that would affect any sort of interaction with them. And that that's interesting. I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I don't know how you can get away from dialogue trees. I mean, I know that 20 years from now we'll be laughing at that statement probably, but how can you get away from dialogue trees completely? I don't know that you can. And and even if you can, Avowed is not the experimentation ground to figure that out on. That's what I would say. I think that's something Mm. where you should have a specific project where you're trying to break out of dialogue trees. Uh, Obsidian does them well. They know how to do them well. And I think if they want to make Avowed as heavy hitting as I'm sure they do, they would lean into their strengths there. Obviously, innovate. If they can think of anything to innovate on it, that's cool. Like 
like grow it. Don't just do it to do it. But now personally, I like them. And I think that that's a, a good addition to the game. Yeah, I, I'm going to point to Mass Effect, even though you mentioned that as maybe one of the games, Maria K, that you don't enjoy or didn't enjoy the system in. I actually did. One of the things I loved about Mass Effect is they did the whole trick of um, kind of like uh, what other games I've mentioned they've said they would do. The the um, What's the robot one <laughs> with like the 3,000 pages of dialogue? I forgot the name of it now. But... Um, Anyway, it, 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 I could do something at the beginning of the game that is then encoded into my persona so that later in the game when I meet their, this dude, say, I, say I, I, I steal from this dude's tavern, right? Well, his brother has a tavern over in such and such a land, and he refuses to even talk to me, period. And there's no way around that because he knows that I robbed, you know, something along those lines where I'm building a reputation. That reputation affects the dialogue, affects the interaction with people. Um, they, they treat me differently. Um, I love that. I think that's great. Uh, one thing I will say I loved about Outer Worlds is I really, really liked the way they did the the dialogue. I think they could have done better, but I do like the way they did the dialogue because if I invested heavily in persuasion, for example, there was a really good feeling about that. Like all that hard work I put into investing in, in, you know, just ranking up persuasion or say you did science or whatever, how that afforded you different options to get out of certain situations or in, in many situations that, um, with my previous playthrough, I had to fight my way out of, I was able to talk my way out of, and I really like that. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> I had something I was going to say and I forgot what it was. I was something about the Forgotten City doing it well, but. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 You love that game, right? That game was so good. I mean, they, because the thing about persuasion checks, I agree with you. I love making charismatic characters and it feels good when you put 100 points into persuasion that you can use that 100 points. Like, I, you know, I don't want that stuff to go to waste. But the Forgotten City was also really fun in the sense of like, you had to really navigate the dialogue and you had to understand the character. And it wasn't just, Oh, you passed a speech check. You're done. But again, not that that's bad. You got to reward the player for what they invest their points into. So I don't know. I don't know if there's like a, an interesting hybrid where the higher your charisma is, then the better options become available, but you could still mess it up if you choose some wrong ones. I don't know. I could definitely go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say they do that, I, I believe, or si something similar in, in Pillars and, and Outer Worlds, where I, I think depending on your disposition or depending on your stats, you have new options. And I really like that idea. Like if you are an extremely perceptive person, you might see an option that nobody else sees. Not even, I, I don't know, you could argue about whether seeing the option and just having it grayed out um, is good or not, but I like that new options open up depending on the choices you make with your stats. Exactly. And I mean, I already like that as well. That's how I prefer it. Um, but it, like in the forgotten city, there's no, there's no benevolence check. There's no, Oh, you're, you're good at this. And so here's a, a dialogue option for you. That's unique. I mean, there, I guess there is, there's some contextual stuff, but I mean, you have to navigate those dialogue trees without knowing whether or not you're picking the good or bad ones. And I like that you kind of have to use, 
like actual charismatic skill of understanding this character they're presenting and the options the game has laid before you. I like that. But I also like what Sora was saying about, I have level 100 persuasion, so I want to hit the 100 button, please. And I I'm do like, yeah, having <laughs> intertwining skills into the system somehow. I just be so kind of like even more halfway between what Remoran's saying and what Forgotten City did. If there is a hybrid in there, I think that would be that would be gold in in games for dialogue personally like but whatever this that this is the end of the show this is yeah. a topic we could talk about <laughs> yeah yeah we could go on forever you're right and and I, as far as the grayed out options in outer worlds I didn't like that I thought just don't show it to me um reward the person who who invested in 100 science you know don't gray it out yeah. for me oh, really I, actually I found that enticed me to do a second playthrough because I saw all these options I didn't have and I'm like oh damn what would happen if I actually so I did a second playthrough because of those grayed out options okay all right maybe that's how they tricked me though you I know see so that. actually yeah. I'm a <laughs> you say potato <laughs> I say potato that's okay <laughs> but, I mean it depends was getting a second playthrough a good thing I could have played another game maybe I wasted my time who knows Right. No, you're right. That's a very good point. That's a very, how else would they tell the player that, that there are other paths um, unless you just assume it? Um, all right. So you're right. We've, we've gone on for a while. It's been a good episode. Thank you guys for joining me. And, and again, for the people who are listening, if you want to drop us an email, you can just email us avowedcast at gmail.com. And we're doing uh, monthly episodes now until um, the floodgates open with Obsidian and we start to get more information on Avowed. Um, and we'll still keep doing the speculation and the conjecture from experienced people. You know, we've all played the games, so we, we're speaking from knowledge. Um, but uh, all of it's speculation at this point. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. And now, does anyone want to tell them where they can reach you, Gingerino, if they want to find you? How can they do it? Um, I actually, I have two things now. Sorry, am I allowed to do two things or is it just one? Please, please. <laughs> um, if you are into the world of Aora, that is the world that Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 are in and the world that Avowed's going to be in, you want to learn more about the lore, you can check out my podcast, The World of Aora. Uh, you can find it on Twitter, at World of Aora. Uh, but there's a new thing that I'm also uh, involved in. I just recently joined as a co-host on a Fallout discussion podcast called the Fallout Roundtable. So we're still trying to figure out who we are as a group. Uh, we're kind of a goofy bunch of people, but if you like a bunch of what if questions and general discussions about the world that Fallout is in, check out Fallout Roundtable. Uh, I think the Twitter is at Fallout RTB. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I didn't know that. I'm going to listen. That's fantastic, dude. I, that, yeah. I mean, what, what a great idea. Yeah, it's. Uh, I will say one, two things. One, you're going to love it, and two, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, parenthesis, do you, do you want to be out there or be in the shadows? Uh, I don't have anything to contribute right now. Okay. Uh, Remoran, where can they find you? Oh, I am at Sir Remoran, S-I-R-R-E-M-E-R-A-N. That's a lot of R's. Uh, I just followed Fallout Roundtable, so I'm really excited about that now. Oh, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you gained two listeners today, so that that's Ooh. good. Yeah, like I said, we are still trying to figure out who we are as a group. So it's uh, it's but been a fun ride so far. Yeah, but, but aren't we always trying to figure out who we are? I mean, do we very, ever really it's know? Very true. Honestly, though, that kind of chaotic energy I think is working for us right now. So embrace it. Sounds oh, yeah. good. And uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter occasionally at Avowedcast. We also have Avowedcast.com uh, website, which basically just 
uh, talks about the episodes we've released and gives links to those. And we'll be upgrading that content later on when we get more information from the powers that be. Uh, Thank you for listening today, and we'll be back next month with another episode. No person present disputes the facts. Your words and actions are a matter of record, confessed by your allies and confirmed by innumerable eyes. 